You are listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's Kyle, up, everybody Kyle, so in the house? I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad. How about hey, you, Kyle, this is the best. So excited. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. Thank you, JT. It's really good to see both of you as well. That felt so sincere and heartfelt. Um, I, I feel like the audience can always tell when we're on our last episode recording of a given day. Um, because, boy, oh, boy, does it feel like we start to feel like we've been brothers and sisters in a room for too long together. Um, uh, it feels a little bit like cabin fever. Um, but uh, here we are. We're in, we're in, gosh, probably one of the most important, significant chapters in the Bible. Um, and we're dealing with the covenant with Abraham today. So Genesis chapter 15, if you're following along, in Genesis chapter 15, we've we've been following the story of Abraham, both his call in Genesis 12 and some of his sojournings through the land that God would give him. We heard about Melchizedek and a rescue story in Genesis chapter 14. And now in Genesis 15, it says, after these things, these things being what's come before, probably namely the blessing of Melchizedek and the rescue of Lot. It says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven, number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. To summarize moving forward so that we can start digging in, God kind of recounts, I'm the Lord who brought you out from where you were. And uh, Abraham says, uh, how do I know? And God begins to walk him through a sacrifice. So he collects the animals uh, for the sacrifice. And it says the sun goes down and a deep sleep falls on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord begins to tell Abraham some things about what's going to happen. I mean, and what, when you read this, if you're familiar with later in the story, you know, this is exactly what's going to happen. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And then it says, when the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. These are the pieces of the sacrifices that have been severed, sacrificed. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I give this land. And then he outlines it from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So that is a real quick flyover of Genesis chapter 15. And it's significant because it is where the call of Abraham is sealed with a covenant with Yahweh. And so let's talk about that. Uh, in Abraham's vision that he sees here, we really get an elaboration on the promises of the call in Genesis 12, right, JT? I mean, like, what does God tell Abraham he's going to do? Pretty much what he told him he was going to do in the call, right? 
so when we're talking about God being like committed all in on this, we're, the, the Bible uses a term covenant. I think it'd be important for us to define the definition that I've always used for covenant is it's a promise in which God obligates himself. I think that word's really important. He's He's not just like saying, I'm going to do this. Like he is obligating, stepping in, saying his character is on the line if he doesn't fulfill these promises. He's obligating himself to these people. And it's also what every covenant that we see in the Bible is a divine initiative, like God setting up the, the the parameters of, or the blessings of the covenant. He's entering into human history by revealing himself and entering into a relationship through an oath with his people. And so what we see here in Genesis chapter 12, it's mentioned again in Genesis 13, and now in kind of more fo- bigger form here in Genesis 15 is, is God entering a covenant. And we only have, what, three, four, five, six of these throughout scripture. You have arguably one in Genesis chapter one. You've got one with Noah. You've got one here with Abraham. You've got one with Moses. You've got one with David. And then you've got the new covenant. And so this is an incredibly unique pivotal linchpin in the storyline of the Bible, which makes the New Testament unintelligible. If you, if you cut this chapter out, who Jesus is and what God is going to do through Christ is completely unintelligible. And so this covenant is, is, is just fundamental to understanding the storyline of the Bible. Yeah, but before the covenant is cut, um, Abraham has a big question for God, right, Jen? And we like Abraham sees a hangup in all these promises that God's <laughs> made. And what's the big hangup that Abraham sees? Yeah, they he he continues childless. Um, it's looking more and more bleak for him with every passing year that there that God will do what He has said that He will do. And not only that, but you can tell that He thinks that He's going to have to come up with a workaround, you know, with this, this servant in his household. And so, yeah, God is going to, is going to um, clarify for him. Now your very own son shall be your heir. Yeah. And so for Abraham, this is a big hang up, and we see a little bit of wrestle in Abraham uh, in this, in conversation with God. I mean, certainly we see a lot of wrestle in Abraham's life because he tries to make a way for this to happen Mm -hmm. when he grows distrustful. But, you know, this verse, but he believed and he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. Paul's going to recycle that in Romans 4 to talk about faith and the gift of faith and the righteousness that comes through faith. But I think it's important to note, Abraham has some questions for God. I, you know, in one of the Q&A episodes last season, we kind of hit hard on doubting. And we, we did because we felt like there were some things that needed to be said. And and I'm glad that we said what we, what we did. But what you see with Abraham here is more along the lines of what Jen was talking about with the doubter who wants to believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Abraham wants to believe. He wants to believe. I mean, God's telling him, I'm going to give you so much offspring, you can't even count them. And Abraham's literally like, give me one. Like, Mm-hmm. One, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have one yet, and he's really struggling with that. And I, if I could just pause, you know, I think we'll do this throughout these stories. But I think that there are often times where it feels like the promises of God are too long delayed, mm-hmm. and I can really resonate with what Abraham is experiencing here. I think every believer can when we say, "God, you have promised us some things." Yeah. And it seems like, man, it's taken a long time. I mean, anyone who's known loss knows that we've been promised resurrection life with God, that death is going to be defeated. And certainly that is a great promise that many of us have felt in our hearts. God, it feels like this promise is too long delayed. And I can kind of resonate with Abraham's feeling here. God's saying, I'm going to give you more children than the sands of the sea, uh, 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 of the seashore. I'm going to give you more children than the stars in the sky. And Abraham's going, "But, but I don't have one. 
Yeah, I, I resonate with that too, Kyle. Um, when I think about faith, this, this of course is not a fully formed definition of faith, but I think one way we could define faith is it is ongoing belief in the promises of God despite the disparity between what God has said and our current circumstances. We continue to believe despite the disparity that Abraham is experiencing or despite the disparity that we are experiencing, which is this really relationship between believing and doubt. What we have happened in the enlightenment in the, in the, you know, 14, 15, 16th century is that we begin to put certainty of knowledge before faith or reason before revelation. And what we see here in a pre-modern context is, is not Abraham saying, I am certain. He's saying, I believe. Uh, or um, uh, I'm I'm losing the definition. I think it was Anselm or maybe it was Augustine. Maybe Augustine said it first in Anselm is that, Kyle, what's the definition? Um, Faith seeking understanding, not understanding that has faith. And so here you have a man who has faith seeking understanding. Well, and God doesn't give him the specifics of how. He gives him a little bit more specificity here. And yet this statement, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness comes before he knows more specificity about what is going to happen. And uh, so he's not putting God to the test here. Um, He's asking a a genuine question about uh, how this could possibly work out. And we'll see when we get to Sarah reentering the story, we actually get to see the two different kinds of doubt laid up in contrast to one another. Abraham's is a doubt that is willing to believe and Sarah's is a doubt out of a hopelessness and an abandonment of belief, um, which you could just hear the tone of her words. And so, um, So Abram here is already painting for us a picture of faith without sight Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be carried through uh, the rest of the Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. So Abraham believes the Lord 
You know, he's struggling. He believes. He asked some questions of the Lord, but he believes, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So to really kind of seal this covenant, um, what happens is that there is a sacrificial ceremony that takes place here. And you get a glimpse of this in verses 7 through 11. You know, uh, God tells Abraham, before he begins to give him prescriptions on the sacrifices uh, of the animals, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So God reminds him, I've already rescued you. I'm, I'm bringing you out. I'm, I, I'm the one who's been guiding and directing you. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Now, Let's pause. This is a strange situation, probably one that you are not familiar with, but I'll tell you this. This is not strange in the eyes of the ancient Near East. This was a very well-known, if somebody had been looking like 20 yards away and seeing everything that Abraham was doing, they'd be like, oh, that guy's making a covenant. That's, with somebody. With somebody. Mm-hmm. Hey, that guy over there is making a covenant. He's getting everything ready to cut covenant with somebody over there. And, and it's important to talk through, and we do a little bit of this. We've done a little bit of this in the training program, and I think we've done it on the podcast. JT, if I start doing too much here, you you just start reeling me back in, okay? <laughs> okay. But, I, I, I tend to do that. <laughs> Uh, but this this ceremony, um, this ceremony was well known, uh, this covenant cutting ceremony, and covenants were cut in the ancient Near East. Covenant cutting and making covenants, this was a practice that people did in order to ratify important agreements. Give me, let me give you a big example so, uh, uh, that this covenant cutting ceremony that you see is certainly following covenant cutting ceremonies between what we might call suzerains and vassals. Now, just imagine suzerain is an ancient Eastern term for a ruler or somebody with some might, some resources, some land, maybe some sort of military power or ability to defend, right? So in the ancient world, you might have somebody who had accumulated a good degree of this, but there might be other people, strangers in the land or just people who were in the land uh, uh, who did not have those things. And so a typical treaty might be something like this. You need my power. um, And I am willing to give you, protect you with my power um, and provide for you when you lack resources. But there's going to be some conditions on that provision and protection. The main condition is that you are going to be loyal to me. You're going to essentially swear an oath of loyalty to me. And in a ceremony like this, what would happen is these animals would be severed, okay? They would be, they'd be cut in half. Uh, and then the lesser party would walk through those separated sacrifices. And essentially the idea would be this. I am going to protect you. And if you keep loyalty to me, I will do to your enemies what has been done to these sacrifices. Mm-hmm. But if you forsake me, I will do to you what has been done to these sacrifices. Essentially, it's just like laying down the conditions and then sealing them with blood. That's what it is. It's a blood Mm -hmm. oath. It's a blood covenant. And so what Abraham is doing here is very, it's very familiar to people in the ancient Near East. It seems strange to us, but it's very familiar. But there is a huge inversion in what happens in this covenant cutting ceremony. JT or Jen, would you add anything to this? JT uh, can I, run with it. Well, no, I, I love the way you're setting it up, Kyle. And it's possible. I've, I've taught this wrong before. I always thought both parties walked down the aisle. Mm-hmm. 
but but maybe it is just one. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna look that up after this. I've always been told, and that's it's significant either way. What is significant mm. is that what we're about to see here is here we have this trail of blood, this sidewalk of like of of these animals who've been cut. And what we're saying is is what is going to happen if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant is that the same thing that happened to these animals is going to happen to me. And mm-hmm. whether it's one party that walks down, it being the lesser party or both parties, what we see happen here is is that it is it is the greater party. It's not both parties. Abraham is off asleep. And God himself in a form of a smoking fire uh, and like a pot, which is uh, sometimes people think it's a strange analogy, but this is often how God reveals himself in forms like this, whether it's in Exodus 3.14 or in leading the people through wilderness, is God himself is there walking down this aisle. And I, I think it's important for, for our listeners to realize the grittiness of this. I don't mean to be overly raw, but I mean, what what is happening here is God is sloshing through blood saying, I'm going to put my blood on the line in order to maintain the covenant that I have with you. There's a, there's a, when I used to teach this in the training program, there's a really long poem that we used to read. I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want to read a, a portion of it here. He says, uh, when God walks, it's, by the way, this is from Ray Vanderlaan, Echoes of His Presence. Uh, and this, this isn't part of the poem, it's more of a description. He says, when he walked in the dust of the desert and through the blood of all the animals that Abraham had slaughtered, God was making a promise to all the descendants of Abraham, to everybody in the household of faith. When God splashed through the blood, he did it for us. And so when we read Genesis chapter 15, it's not just that God was doing this for Abraham. He was doing it for me and for you, Jen and Kyle, and for his church, for his people, saying that you are not going to uphold your end of the bargain. And when you don't, I will suffer the consequences. He goes on to say, if this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness for yours, I will pay the price. If you or your descendants from whom I'm making this covenant fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. And at that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on his son, Jesus. So what we see here is, again, another redemptive, typological, to use that term from our last episode, picture of this. This is, again, it's Genesis 3, 15 all over again. One day there's going to be a son of the woman who will come to crush the head of the serpent. Now there's also going to be a son of Abraham who will be God himself, who's going to come to make a blood sacrifice in order to keep covenant with his people. I mean, that's, it's just an incredible thing. I mean, this, like this moment is so huge. I mean, it just like, it really, it's, it's the gospel. Like mm-hmm. it, it's just, it, it is, it is the gospel in a, it doesn't feel familiar to us, but when you start to peel back the layers of it, you're getting good news. Abraham, Abraham would have woken up knowing this is the most incredible news that has ever happened. This mm-hmm. the ceremony I just witnessed is unlike Abraham had seen these ceremonies before. It is almost a guaranteed reality that Abraham had seen this happen. And he knows what he just saw is absolutely unprecedented. Well, and looking over our shoulder to the earlier chapters that we've been through, um, Moses, our faithful narrator, has been preparing us for this scene with those earlier cuttings of covenant, which were either hinted at or 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 shown fairly explicitly in the garden when Adam and Eve are clothed, uh, would have required 
the parting of this flat, you know, the, the shedding of blood and parting yeah. of flesh for that, um, that promise that he gives that the deliverer will come. And then uh, again, when Noah exits the ark, first thing he does, offer sacrifices and God institutes the covenant with Noah. So um, we're starting to see stitched together this idea of the shedding of blood being tied to the promises of God coming to pass. Yeah, or absolutely. Or even in the Noahic covenant, we get a demonstration of God hanging his bow in the sky with the bow mm-hmm. pointing towards him, so to right. speak. That right. God is right. going to be the one who receives the judgment for the sins of the world. And this is mm-hmm. what now he's telling Abraham in this dream. I mean, it's just an incredible picture of the good news of the gospel. And I think it's one of the reasons why when we think about our involvement in the story of scripture, it's not it's not too much to say that the call and covenant with Abraham is, is a paradigm for the call that God makes on the life of a believer and the covenant he has made with Christians. Um, now it has been sealed by a far better mediator than Abraham. Um, but the covenant is, is similar, you know? Uh, and uh, I think that's a, a really remarkable reality here. So let me just ask the question, are Christians participants in the covenant with Abraham? JT, are we participants in the covenant with Abraham? Yeah, we are. And Paul makes that really clear in Galatians chapter three. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I wonder if somebody maybe heard your, your phrase a few minutes ago. You said, this is the gospel. And I think for some people that might hit them a little sideways, like, wait a second, I thought the gospel was contained in Matthew chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, where we see Jesus, the son of God, dying on behalf of sinners in our place. Yeah, Absolutely. But Paul makes the point that that gospel that we read about in the gospels uh, and then later in Paul's literature is is found in seed form here. If you look at uh, Galatians chapter three, verse eight, now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. So Paul is making the case that the gospel message is here in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, 13, 15, 17, that this is the good news that one day by faith, the sons and daughters of Abraham can place their faith in the covenantal promises of God for God to fulfill them. And that's exactly what he does in his sons. And it says, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, this is important, verse nine, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. And it goes on at the end of, uh, of chapter of chapter three to say, uh, this is where Paul makes the argument that it doesn't say seeds or offsprings, right. Right. But, it, but a singular seed who is Jesus. And therefore through our union with Christ, and this is your jam, Kyle, we then therefore are recipients of these covenantal blessings that we have in Genesis chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's an incredible reality. And I would answer the question the exact same way. Yeah, we are. We're participating in the covenant with Abraham because we're in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and all the blessings have been secu- All the blessings of the, the covenant with Abraham, promises made there have been secured in Jesus and mm-hmm. they belong to God's people. Even continuing Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is now no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, since all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. And it's obviously referring to this promise. It's good news. Mm-hmm. It's good news. Maybe kind of a final pastoral discipleship encouragement for those of those of you who are in conversation with us via the podcast is I think one of the most joyful things that, that the Lord has done in my life over the last, you know, 10 years or so uh, is re- like show me the endless beauty of the gospel. 
that we don't we don't want to have a shallow gospel that is simply Jesus died in my place. That is one of the most beautiful phrases that could ever be uttered. And that by faith, I have received those covenantal blessings. But each of those words grows in their meaning the more you spend time in the storyline of scripture. So it is absolutely true and defensible that Jesus died for sinners. That's what Paul says. This is a trustworthy statement. But when you begin to tease out how that statement is then true across the storyline of the Bible, what's going to happen in your heart and in your life is your affections are going to grow for fellowship with the triune God when you realize exactly what he's done for us and that Jesus wasn't kind of a last ditch effort, but rather this is this has been God's plan from the beginning in that he loves us at such a deep level, uh, an unfathomable level that here you have thousands of years ago, not just in the crucifixion, but God walking through the dusty sand of the Negev, willing to bloody himself because he loves us. Gosh, that's incredible. I'm so glad that we got to spend time in Genesis 15 today. I was looking forward to this and uh, I'm just encouraged and I needed this today. I just had one closing thought is a portion of the text that we didn't spend a lot of time in, but it's the portion where when Abram falls into his deep sleep, there is the prophecy about the the time in Egypt, which to the original audience, they would have said, oh yeah, yeah, that was prophesied. So then what God says will happen does come to pass. So they have this reassurance for the original audience of God did that. He said he would and he did it. And then immediately following that, um, we get the statement that the land would be given to the offspring of Abraham. And this is going to hit them with such gladness because they are about to go in and try to possess this land, the land of their enemies. And um, the, the, the pillar of smoke and fire, this is the image that they recognize of the way that God has led them. So there's this very kind um, thing that's happening here um, that Moses, uh, that the spirit is giving through Moses to the children of God. And it's look over your shoulder and see the faithfulness of God so that you can walk forward knowing that he will be faithful again. And and that is such a huge thing for us to cling to um, as we face times of uncertainty. We can look to God's faithfulness to his people in the past and know that he will indeed complete what he started. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for the discussion today. If you want to find out more, you can find us on social media, Knowing Faith Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, or you can go to uh, patreon.com slash knowingfaith if you want a little bit more behind the scenes stuff. Uh, In our next episode, we'll continue to explore the life of Abraham as we follow the patriarchs through the wondering story of Genesis 12 through 50. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Peace.